And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of The Real Investment Show. It's hump day, of course. That means Danny Ratliff will be joining me here shortly. i got a lot of stuff to get into today. Uh, but interestingly, yesterday, I don't know if you heard about this, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen um, basically challenged the head of the Teamster Union to a fight during a hearing. Now, I think this is awesome. I, though, this may solve all of our problems in Washington. Just follow me for a second, right? Instead of electing these, these 900-year-old guys, right, to go up to Washington to solve our financial problems, right, you know, and to deal with our issues, we just start electing UFC fighters and Navy SEAL guys, right? And then, so you bring a bill to the floor, and then whoever wins the fight passes the bill, right? I mean, this would just, you know, solve all of our problems. You know, you want a budget cut? You throw your best guy in there to get a budget cut. If he loses, well, you don't get a budget cut. It's all fair, right? I mean, there's, that, there's, there's no partisan politics in this. You just put up your best guy for the bill, if he loses, he loses. I'm thinking this could be a new trend for America. I, I have to say I stole it though. The idea I stole is from a movie called Idiocracy where we elected a pro wrestler as president. So, but I was thinking about that last night since we are heading towards idiocracy anyway in, in America. I mean, might as well just go ahead and throw him in the ring and let's just solve the problem there. So I think Mark Wayne Mullen is onto something and I don't know if personally I would have picked a fight with the head of the Teamster Union because you don't want to turn up like Jimmy Hoffa, but <laughs> just saying. <laughs> anyway, seriously, got a lot of stuff to talk about yesterday. Of course, yesterday's big move in the market, uh, market up almost 2% yesterday. Now, that seems like a lot, right? Market was up 2%. Don't forget, the last time that we had a surprise CPI report, we were up 5.5%. So, um, you know, 2% big day, but a lot of this move in the market had already been priced in. The market's been sniffing out this kind of weaker inflation number here for a while. Bond yields have been falling. Uh, so the, the report yesterday uh, certainly came in weaker than expected on CPI, and that led to basically a lot of things uh, occurred in the markets. We had a very broad rally in the markets yesterday. Uh, RSP, we were talking about the weakness in RSP yesterday uh, during our Before the Bell commentary, big move yesterday, up almost 3% yesterday in RSP. So it was a very broad rally uh, across the board yesterday um, on this number. A couple of things coming out of this though is that the Fed is now done hiking rates, at least for the moment. But here's the problem as we've talked about before. In fact, we'll write about this in this weekend's newsletter. The problem with rallying markets, and this is fine that the markets are rallying sharply here and bond yields are falling, that's great, asset prices are going up, you feel better about it, right? This whole rally here has made you feel a lot better lately, that's certainly a lot better than you felt during October, <laughs> during the decline. So now all of a sudden you feel better, so hey, you know what, Let, let's go out to dinner tonight because my portfolio's up, right? It's all good. Problem for the Fed is, is that lower yields and higher asset prices ultimately lead to more activity in the economy. That's inflationary. So while the Fed is trying to figure out how to keep monetary policy tight in order to slow economic growth and keep inflation coming down towards their target, because we're not there yet, 
the market is already starting to loosen those financial conditions. So again, big challenge for the Fed, but the Fed is probably done here. Markets are already pricing in that the terminal rate is now equal to the current Fed funds rate. So most likely coming in the December at the next meeting for the, Fed, the Federal Reserve, the FOMC meeting, uh, they will have to figure out how to tailor their language to say, I'm done hiking rates without actually saying I'm done hiking rates. But that's going to be the, the, the read that we're going to most likely get from the statement coming in December. Uh, again, the question though, and, and again, uh, Jerome Powell was very clear about this. It's not clear that we have actually you know, defeated inflation. It's just one report. Market's getting a little bit ahead of themselves right now. Um, but the employment report was weaker. The Citigroup uh, surprise, economic surprise index has rolled over. We are seeing, seeing ec slowing economic activity. Uh, that's potentially, that will continue to weigh on that inflationary pressure. So again, the question is, is can the Fed stop hiking rates here, allow the markets to rally at this moment, yields come down, uh, but still not get a big uptick in inflationary pressure. So allow them just to kind of keep rates higher here for a while until we actually see that lag effect kick in potentially next year and you start to see slower economic activity and then you can talk about Fed rate cuts at that point. But that also brings up the other question. Normally, when the Fed is cutting rates, you see a, a weakness in the markets because as they're cutting rates is because you've either gotten into a recession, you have to reprice valuations, earnings, et cetera, or have we now trained investors to buy rate cuts? We'll have to see. It's all about psychology. We'll see how the markets handle it. But again, yesterday, very big move. Here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. We talked about this yesterday a bit that when the, uh, this, that we gotten above the 100-day moving average, we needed to hold that support at the 100-day moving average. We tested it on, uh, on Tuesday, uh, sorry, on Monday. Uh, yesterday's rally clearly <laughs> punching through and confirming that break above resi of resistance. So the 100-day moving average is now support for any pullback. So any pullback towards that 100-day moving average, that's going to be a buying opportunity, at least here in the short term. So continue to buy dips. Uh, still on a buy signal here in terms of our MACD. Very strong buy signal right now. Um, but the market is now back into overbought territory. So we are now overbought. So expect a, a bit of some profit taking here. Again, I don't know what's going to cause it other than just, you know, basically the market's really gotten pretty far ahead of themselves. Um, we're going to have another potential rally this morning. Futures are pointing higher. But again, you know, we've gone a long way. This is a 78.6% retracement of the, of, the, of the entire decline from the June-July highs. So again, we've almost fully retraced that entire decline from the summer just in a couple of weeks here, which is a, a very, very strong advance. And again, nothing wrong with that. We talked about the extreme bearishness back over here when we were getting down towards these lows. We were talking about here on the show in the morning. Markets were extremely oversold, very bearish. We were going to get a rally. Well, that rally came in spades and again has been very, very strong here. So it's good. Don't forget to take some profits. If you were really stressed out here in the markets uh, during these October lows like I was, uh, this is a good time to rebalance some risk and, and think about what you want to do with your portfolio heading into year. And again, don't be too bearish here. There's no reason to be bearish here short term, but we are overbought. And so we are going to get some type of relaxation here. Um, it's it's going to be a, a slow grind sideways. It'll be a bit of a pullback. Whatever causes it, don't know. And I don't know the timing. Could be next week. Could be two weeks from now, whenever it occurs. Um, you are going to get some type of a pullback. You can buy that dip 
for the year-end rally. Now, once we get past year-end, have no idea how this is going to play out. So we'll have to do, you know, kind of work through this as we get there. But again, you know, for right now, use any, any type of weakness here. Add exposure to portfolio as needed, but don't forget to take profits. You know, again, if you're really overweight equities and kind of got ahead of your skis, look to take a little bit of profits off of off the table for the time being. Um, as I said yesterday, bonds also had a very, very good day. Clearly broke above the 50-day moving average. We have an interesting pattern that's developing in the bond market right now. This is TLT as an example. Um, but you have a very clear left shoulder here ahead and now a right shoulder. So you've got this inverse head and shoulders pattern. And we actually took out this kind of neckline yesterday. Um, so again, it looks like we're starting to build a very clear bottom in treasury bonds for right now. And suggesting higher prices, potentially about 93 is our first target on TLT right now, um, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks. So again, uh, market's looking good really kind of across the board. Again, no reason to be bearish here right now as we head into the end of the year. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, coming back after the break, we will pick up with Danny Ratliff. Got a lot of stuff to get into uh, this morning all across the markets. So we'll talk about that and more right here on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show. Of course, it is the hump day edition as we uh, grind through this pre-holiday trading week. Don't forget next week, we only have a couple of trading days. Uh, Thursday is closed. Friday is half a day. So basically, starting on Wednesday, ain't nobody going to be round, as they say, <laughs> in the markets. It'll be the inmates running the asylum for a couple of days. Um, but so again, you know, what's kind of going on right now is a lot of uh, pre-positioning. And as I said, market's very overbought here short term. So expect a bit, a bit of a pullback. But inflation, uh, the inflation read yesterday, very, very good. Um, this morning, we have PPI, which is the other side. So we have the consumer price index. And today we'll have the producer price index. And we'll see if we get some further confirmation uh, on this kind of slowing inflationary trend. But you know inflation's a problem. Um, you know, Black Friday, right around the corner. So shoppers getting ready to go shopping and, and you know, a group of individuals in Washington, D.C., of course, that is the bluest of the Maryland districts up there, have started their Black Friday uh, holiday shopping very early. Uh, doorbell footage from a newly built townhome in a neighborhood outside Washington, D.C. shows a group of armed men carjacking UPS driver in broad daylight. So just basically, there's going to be a, it'll be a surprise Christmas for people. It's like, I don't know what's in the box, but whatever's in the box, Merry Christmas. <laughs> that's, so shopping starting early. Shopping, that's what we're calling it now? That's, that's shopping. Well, I mean, if you're not going to prosecute them, might as well just call it shopping, right? I suppose. <laughs> so, uh, the world we live in. Um, anyway, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Danny, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning. Yeah, so you walked into you walked into a show this morning. We got UPS carjackings, and we have senators, you know, throwing you know throwing throwdowns with the uh, head of the Teamsters Union yesterday. So. I feel like this is local news. What's <laughs> exactly. going on, Lance? <laughs> well, it's all coming out of Washington today. It's not local, anyway. Um, a lot of stuff to get into, as I said. Uh, PPI out this morning. Uh, also this morning, a lot of earnings coming out. Advanced Auto Parts, Cisco, uh, Fiserv, JD, uh, uh, JD Com. 
uh, Palo Alto Networks, Target, TJ Maxx. So again, um, you know, we're continuing through this earnings season. So far, earnings have been okay. They've not been stellar, but they are certainly beating the much lowered estimates. And again, the the you know the rewards for these stocks have not been great until just you know yesterday. So we'll see if we kind of get some push through today. And then, of course, tomorrow we've got initial jobless claims uh, reports as well. So, you know, again, we're, we're working through this data that the Fed is looking at. But all of a sudden, you know, right now, the market is now coming to the realization that the last rate hike was in June. And we're not going to see any more rate hikes from here. In fact, as I said earlier, the terminal rate for the market, the market implied Fed funds rate, is now equal to the Fed funds rate. So again, even the market's now suggesting that the Fed has done hiking rates. Now, what that means, of course, we'll have to figure out. You know, we've been talking about this lag effect. We haven't really seen it show up yet. The economy was strong in the third quarter, uh, but we are starting to see some signs of real economic weakness now. Uh, the latest employment report, et cetera. Um, will we see that continue as we get into the first part of next year? Uh, and then we'll have to go from there. So, again, it's just as we get through the end of the year, um, again, there's no reason to be overly bearish right now, but there's certainly reasons to, you know, continue to manage portfolio risk, et cetera. It's been a challenging year, um, you know, overall outside of just, you know, seven to ten stocks. It's been a tough year for markets. It doesn't seem that way because you're just looking at the headline markets up 15, 16 percent for the year. It's like, hey, nothing wrong with the markets. But it's not really been that way once you look underneath the surface. And, you know, most portfolios are not tracking the SP unless you're just invested into an index. So, well, that's right. If you still have bonds, you're still yeah. underperforming. Bonds are down once again this year. You also yeah. have, um, you mentioned RSP in the first segment. I mean, I think that's a very good way that you can actually track and see what's actually going on underneath the surface. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it was up 0.89 as of yesterday for the year. Yeah. You know, yesterday, actually, all markets performed much better. So, we saw that track up quite a bit, but at the end of the day, I still think it's a difficult environment. And I, I think what a lot of people too are struggling with is that everybody kept waiting to purchase longer duration bonds or any types of bonds for that matter, with the exception of we saw a lot of people buying on the short end. Mm -hmm. And now I've gotten a lot of emails or calls saying, hey, should we go buy right now? Yeah. And you know I, that's a tough question because I think this could bounce around here from here to there based on earnings, based on what you know other economic data comes out. If it's stronger, we're going to see yields pop back up a bit. But if it's weaker, you know, we could likely see these continue a downward trend. How far down, though, Lance? I mean, if you just mentioned, you know, the Fed's implied rate, we're right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's right. And and again, you know, the, the big issue is that it's not been, and again, it's a very deceiving market to your point, which is, has, has made it challenging if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, an investor, and you kind of look at the market every day, you look at CNBC, and it's like, wow, you know, this is doing great this year, my portfolio is not. It's, it's very deceiving, because again, you're only looking at a handful of stocks. And again, most people don't own just seven stocks, right? Um, if you did, great, <laughs> you're doing awesome this year. Um, but if you own pretty much anything else, and including fixed income or anything else, it's, it's, it's been a challenging year. And again, not surprising, you know, if we go back to January of 2022, even where the markets are, just by the way, perspective-wise, yes, the market's up 15 16% for the year. We're still lower than where we were in January of 2022. So we've gone almost two full years now without a new high in the markets. So, again, that's also a bit of perspective as to what's going on. It's been great that, you know, we went through an entire rate hiking, hiking cycle and, and an economic slowdown without crashing the markets. That's awesome, right? We're only down 20%-ish 
in 2022. It's awesome that we didn't completely crash the markets, but the markets have gone nowhere over the last two years. So, you know, if you've been, you know, banking on 6% annualized gains, it's been a very tough, challenging 24 months to do that. Again, that's just the way things are right now. Those will definitely improve, but uh, we'll have to see how things work out from here. So, um, but again, it's just, you know, these are the things to kind of just look at as we continue to move forward. And, and again, you know, and to Danny's point about bonds, it's been interesting because, you know, we've, we've talked about bonds a lot here on the show. We've written tons of articles. We've talked about, uh, Danny and I talked about bond math, you know, on the show a while back saying, hey, here's the opportunities. And, you know, we, we warned to get the risk of, you know, piling into very short-term treasuries just for the yield and missing the long-term opportunity that was going to come out of owning bonds. And now we're, we're starting to see that play out here and we're starting to see that that begin to recover and again we said that when you know when the bond move started to happen it was going to happen very quickly and that's that's exactly what's been happening so again there's still upside here left in bonds but the question is is how much more upside is there where do yields cap out on the downside is it three percent is it two percent is it one and a half percent a lot of that will depend on the economy next year which none of us have a really clear view on about exactly how that's going to work out so Again, we'll we'll keep you up to date. We'll you know we'll keep you you know keep you apprised of what's going on here. But again, just um, you know, as we kind of just watch things, and as I said earlier, the markets have gone very far, very very quickly. So don't be surprised if they stall out here a little bit. You're going to start, you know, I'm already getting emails like, oh, it's an, it, this is just another bear trap, and it's just going to suck everybody in and then dump on them. Be really careful about that, right? We've we've had a lot of that conversation uh, over the last you know, 20, you know, 12 months or so. And every time everybody expects the floor, the kind of the floor or the rug to drop out of the markets, the markets do exactly the opposite of, of that expectation. So again, just kind of follow along. Markets overbought here short term. Look for a bit of profit taking. Do a little bit of risk management. You'll be fine. Okay, Danny, enough of that. So enough of that. Enough of that for this morning. Well, but I, I do think it is interesting to put it in a little bit of perspective. So if you go, go to treasury.gov, um, you can actually pull up where these yields have been. And you can see that it's been bouncing around from really about 50 basis points, you know, up and down. And I think that's the more difficult part because you get the headline news and like, mm. oh my gosh, bonds have dropped considerably, but they don't tell you where they were, you know, two weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago. And we're really been trading kind of in a range for the most part. I mean, what are your thoughts on, do we see if we get better economic data, do you actually see yields increase a little bit from here? Well, yeah, I mean, yields will go back up if we start getting really strong economic data. Yeah. Better earnings, yeah. But, but and that's what you would expect, though. Yeah. If if your economy is improving, then your earnings are going to improve because your economy is doing. Why are earnings? Why are why is the economy doing better? Because people are buying stuff. But the problem is, is that's also going to generate inflation, which yep. is going to pull yields higher, which is going to put the Fed back on hiking rates. Yeah. So that's the problem. Well, Home Depot says that inflation's done. Yeah. For now, does, no, you're you're missing the point. It doesn't matter what they're saying. If no, no, you I get, get it. I mean, strong economic yeah, data, correct. you're going to get inflation. Correct. Right. And yeah. the Fed's going to have to start hiking rates again. Correct. Right. That's and that's the problem with the market rallying is that that eases monetary conditions. So yields falling, stocks rallying eases monetary conditions, which is going to put the Fed back on rate hiking campaign because they don't want that. They don't want if if you get easier monetary conditions you're going to get inflation because people are going to feel good and they're going to start spending money. 
Now, at what point, though, do you see people just run out of bandwidth to do so? I mean, we see credit card debt at all-time highs once again. We're seeing delinquencies creep up, especially, Dude. you know, with, with student loan debt. I mean, I'm, I know, but... Never count out the consumer. Yeah, but but at what point do you count because, the banks out? No, no, think about this, right? What, what did we start a couple of years ago in earnest when things were getting really... Uh, I'm sorry, I actually go back about five years now. Time flies. But things were getting pretty tight around the belt before March 2020. And what did we come up with? We came up with all these. Well, pay- you don't want me to. Well, no, we came up with all stimulus, these. Stimulus, co- yeah. No, no, not stimulus. That, that also did that, right? But no, in the economy, we had all these companies show up that would just give people private credit, right? Yeah, it was, payment it was all, plans. Yeah, these, all these payment plans. So it gave people access. So you didn't have to go to the bank to get a credit card. You could go to these other places and get money. And what else do we see people do? You see people throw up these GoFundMe accounts and people just start sending them money. It's like, oh, I'm having trouble paying bills. You know, I need a thousand bucks and people will send them a thousand bucks. So never count out the consumer. Man, I'm always for goodwill. But and, and, and again, another thing is that you see and when the economics slow down, what do you see? What do you see increase every time the economy slows down? Watch your disability payments. They go up. Mm. People claim disability. So never count the consumer. At some out. point you can't move out of that train, though. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's yeah. just every time you expect that the that the consumer is done, they figure out some way to find money. Yep, yeah, that's true. Going into debt, it's the American dream. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so welcome back to the show this morning david ratliff joining me i want to uh talk about technical analysis here real quick and and you know i know it's a bunch of technical mumbo jumbo and you know it's, it's difficult to understand and, and particularly if you're driving in your car right now listening to the radio um, it's even more important to, to do this. But, you know, again, you know, we've talked about before is that technical analysis is a good way of understanding market sentiment in the short term. So fundamentals in the, in the long term, and we're talking years. So over, over five to 10 years, fundamentals matter completely, right? High valuations lead to lower stock market returns over time. And again, you know, we had high valuations going into 2020 and, We've been challenged, you know, since 20, you know, since the peak of the market in 2022 because of high valuations. Markets have, have not gone anywhere over a two year period. Um, so that's what you would expect from high valuations. In the short term, though, over weeks, days, months, fu- fundamentals don't mean anything. So if you're buying a stock, you know, it's like my holding period is five, six months, and you're buying a stock based on fundamentals, you, you know, don't worry about that. Just, you buy what's going up. It's momentum trading if you're trading very short term. Um, but you know one of the, the 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 challenges that investors get themselves into with technical analysis is taking technical analysis too literally. And what I mean by that is is, is we talked about the S and P, and that the market had broken the 200 day moving average back in October, and we said, hey, be cautious here. Just because we broke the 200 day moving average don't immediately run out and sell everything. 
Um, what you're looking for is for the market to confirm that it has broken the 200-day moving average and that we're establishing a downtrend, et cetera. And you know, the market kind of flirted around with the 200-day moving average for about a week and then broke right above it and then took off running ever since. And that's those head fakes that people get themselves into. And then they go, oh, well, see, technical analysis doesn't work. I sold everything when the market broke the 200-day moving average and it reversed and, and, and I missed out on the whole rally. And and this is and this is why technical analysis gets a bad rap. And you know, but the thing with technical analysis is is that it's not an absolute indicator. And this is why we always talk about waiting for confirmation. So when you get something that occurs, be patient. Give it a couple of days. See if it confirms what you think the message is telling you. Um, good example. Bonds, you know, look like they're forming a head and shoulders, inverse head and shoulders bottom. Very bullish. We need confirmation of that. We need it to hold there. And we need it to, to retest that bottoming process to tell us that, okay, yes, it's now confirmed and we're, and we're now moving in the right direction. So patience is important. The reason I bring this up is there was a, there was a very interesting article out. Yesterday morning, before the market opened, uh, Business Insider published an article caused... Uh, entitled the Dow Jones has seen a dreaded death cross. Here's what it means. And so Danny, you've, you've got the article there. What, what did the, the article going to tell us about this dreaded death cross in the Dow? Then I'll tell you what happened yesterday. Well, let me find the article. Lance. <laughs> I thought you had it. I, I, I thought I, you had it up. <laughs> I did have it up. And then, then I thought we moved on here, but uh, so you know, technically what it goes back says, listen, this hasn't happened since March of 2022. At that point, the Dow fell 12% over a six-month period. And essentially, they're saying that this precedes any larger, bigger drawdown. And going back to 1929, 1938, 1974, uh, 2008. What if it pops back up? Yeah. And and that's and how that's, many times does that happen? That's one thing the article does not mention. Right. And then this is what I'm saying is like you've got to give it time. So here's what happened yesterday. If you take a look at the Dow yesterday, the 50-day moving average is sitting right now on top of the 200-day moving average. So if yesterday would have been negative, it would have crossed below it. But again, remember, it's the average price of the 50 uh, over the last 50 days. And so that huge rally in the Dow yesterday caused that 50-day moving average to bottom and turn slightly up because it improved the price of the last 50 days of that rally yesterday, so it didn't cross. And so now, if you had read this article yesterday morning, and this is my point about this, if you'd read this article yesterday morning and then immediately ran out and sold everything because of the dreaded death cross and you wanted to avoid the 12% decline, you not only did not get the 12% decline, you also missed out on the entire rally yesterday. So... And again, the, the, the death cross has not occurred. It got very close, right? It's a near miss, but it didn't actually cross. And so this is why you always want to wait. And, and, and generally what I, what I try to tell, you know, we, we talk about this on the show when people ask me this, so I tell them, say, look, you know, whatever happens, particularly if it happens early in the week, you get some technical signal, uh, cell signal, whatever it is, early in the week, just be patient. If the sell signal still exists on Friday when the market closes, you've probably got a decent signal of whatever it is, buy signal, sell signal, et cetera. So wait for the weekly close. 
and see where the market is. And, and again, you know, we, we could very well sell, you know, we could get a really hot inflation print today and completely reverse all of yesterday's CPI gain. If PPI comes in super hot today, we could completely reverse all of yesterday. I mean, it's possible, right? I'm not saying it is. And then that death cross occurs. But then let's see where we end the week. Um, and, and that'll give you a better indication about where the markets are actually trending and trading. So, you know, again, this is, you know, we've, we've spent so much time over the last couple of weeks talking about narratives and being really careful about falling victim to these very narratives. And again, this is all the, 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 the Dow Jones has seen a dreaded death cross. That'll get you to read the article. It got Danny to read the article. And it's still the, the number one article on Markets Insider. I would honestly expect it to see the opposite at this point and be like, Markets roaring, get in. Yeah. And usually that's what happens on most of these major you know, mm-hmm. news websites. And uh, no, it's still there. Yeah. And the reason is, is that gets clicks and headlines. Yeah. And, and, what, and what's on the top of, of web pages is whatever's generating the most, most clicks, right? Correct. So again, the more bearish the headline is, the more clicks and views it's going to get. And that's why you have to be careful about narratives, right? Just remember two weeks ago, we were sitting here talking on the show about the whole bond market narrative that, you know, the debts and the deficits are why interest rates can only go higher from here. And now we're below four and a half percent on 10 year yields in two weeks. That narrative died a brutal death. <laughs> so, but it can also change, sure, very quickly, and we could and we can get another narrative. And so right. the the point is is is, is and, and and is always the case. Be careful of these narratives because they'll get you onto the wrong side of the trade. Just pay attention to what the data is doing. And and again, this is why technical analysis, and you don't have to be adept at it, right? I mean, you can pretty much look at a price chart and see if it's trending up or down. I mean, that's not, you know, not really difficult. Uh, so if it's trending higher, that's probably a good thing. If it's trending lower, it's probably not a good thing, depending on what it is, right? I mean, yields lower is a good thing for bonds. But, and where you are within that wedge or right, the, right. You know, what you're looking at. I mean, I, there's there's a lot that goes into it, but right. you can look at it, you don't be have, a novice and, and correct. a pretty good idea. Yeah, and that's because all you want to know is 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 are things you know what's what's what does the market think about this investment, whatever it is? Because remember, the market's just a bunch of buyers and sellers driving the price in one direction or the other, and and, and so if most if if the market is telling you that they like this particular investment or not, then that's probably a decent you know opportunity that you can put some money to work and and probably make some money with it. Um, now, longer term, that may not be the case, right? You know, after you get past a couple of weeks or a month. Again, fundamentals are going to start to matter at some point. So if you buy something really overvalued, you know, you're going to pay the price for that at some point, but not over the next few weeks. Right. So just again, just again, just, you know, I've been harping on narratives a lot because, you know, I get tons of emails from people that are sending me, you know, video clips from some guy on YouTube talking about the end of the world and you know, wow, these things are, you know, how, you know, the, you know, we're going to go, there was an article this morning about the bankruptcy of the United States is, is right around the corner. It's, it's not right. Great for headlines, terrible for investing. So just, again, I just, you know, I keep coming back to this because it's just been so prevalent lately, but just be careful. And that's, that's our whole point. Well, speaking about balance sheets, haven't central bank balance sheets declined in aggregate, but still higher than pre-pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Fed's going to do QE, uh, sorry, QT, um, until they get, you know, kind of money market balances, you know, back into what, what they call reserve balances, back into a nominal range. And we're pretty close to that. So I would expect QT to probably end in the first three to six months of next year. Um, 
but yeah, overall, um, the central banks have reversed, and this is why you've seen you know pressure on markets as well. You've extracted liquidity from markets, and it's also driven you know to higher yields. But don't worry, the Fed's going to be back buying bonds. It'll just be probably later next year. And that's now when the anticipated rate cut happens. What it was June, now it's May. Um, odds went way up supposedly yeah. I, of, of this rate cut, the, right? Another narrative. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I mean, I saw some some predictions this morning. We may see the first rate cut as soon as March. Whoa. Now, I don't see that because, again, the only, you know, my premise is, and, and look, this is my narrative, and I could be wrong, <laughs> so be careful with narratives. My premise is, is that the Fed's not going to cut rates until there's a problem economically, right? So either you're facing, you know, you're facing down a recession, et cetera, because the reason the Fed is going to cut rates is to stabilize economic activity to keep from falling into deflation, right? They, now, remember, what the Fed wants is they want 2% inflation. That means that they want prices for everything you paid for 2% higher next year than they were this year. That's what the Fed wants. What the Fed doesn't want is negative inflation or deflation. And so if they start to see really, if they really start to see evidence of a slowing economic environment, which by the way, would not be good for earnings or the market, um, that's when they're gonna start doing QE and, and cutting rates and doing those type of things. That's not good for stocks, by the way, initially. It's great for stocks. Long-term. Longer-term because of all the liquidity, but not initially. Come back after the break, pick up Danny Ratliff, don't go away. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You know, I saw an interesting uh, article out this morning. I was reading in a, a, on the break, reading an article here real quick about the uh, new uh, Toyota Camry. Um, it will be sold as a hybrid only. Now, not you know, Toyota has not made that big leap into EVs because they're not cost productive. And it was interesting because right on the heels of that article, there was an article about Lucid, which loses $277,000 per car that they make. So it just goes to show you what, you know, a decade long of zero interest rates and massive flood of monetary liquidity will do. It generates a whole bunch of really bad investments. <laughs> so we work lucid. You know, it doesn't seem very things. economical. It's, it's not. It's not. But, you know, again, when there's too much money sloshing around, you can fund really bad ideas and, and fund ideas that are not profitable. But again, once you start getting inflation, people start coming back to the reality of, you know, money's got to work in a certain manner and, and you kind of start fleshing out some of these things. We work just file for bankruptcy. So um, anyway, just an interesting sideline. Uh, yep. So so again, a um, couple of things that are, are changing. I, I thought this was interesting. You know, I've got kids in college right now and, you know, they're doing their, their student loan thing because I don't help them for college. Uh, that's up to them. But I guess for people that want to actually help their kids, there's uh, some new changes to 529 plans. 
There's well, there, coming up. Yeah, there's some big changes. We've talked a little bit about this on the show. So Secure Act 2.0 actually um, came out and, and made some amendments to how 529 plans work. And essentially, historically, these funds grow tax-free. You use them for educational expenses. Um, also, some potential gray areas in there as far as what you can. But typically, it's room, board, tuition fees, things of that nature, books. Um, and it's been great because those funds grow tax-free, assuming they're used for those purposes. If you do not... There's a 10% penalty. It's an IRA. Um, and it's taxed, right? It's, it's like an well, IRA. Well, it, it, right? it's very similar in that aspect of it. Now, you've been able to change beneficiaries, so that's nice. If you have several children, you could use uh, you could use one larger account, fund it, change beneficiaries if there's a, a lack in age, as long as you're keeping it within the immediate family. So right. there are some benefits to that. Now, the biggest, I think, downfall for many people is like, well, what if the kids don't use it? What if they don't go to school? Um, so a lot of people have been very probably apprehensive to use mm -hmm. just especially with all especially with all the hate on universities that we have going on now yeah but, but i think it's gone on even longer than that yeah. but but it always been it's one of those tools that is you know some people love them some people are like eh, i'm not going to touch that and so what they've done now though is they've actually have a new rule within it where you can actually transfer leftover funds into a roth ira so which is really without, nice because at 529 without a penalty now yeah. The kicker is you can only do $35,000. You cannot, it has to be to your original beneficiary. So for those people out there who have been using one account, you can't go change the beneficiary and say, okay, we're going to do $35,000 to the initial beneficiary of it, your oldest. Then we're going to do another thirty five dollars to the middle one, and then another thirty five dollars to the youngest. They need to have their own accounts. Mm -hmm. So they also, the funds have wait, to wait, be can, in I, I'm a little confused. Uh, okay. If I'm confused, that probably means somebody else is confused. No, everybody's got this, Lance. No, but so so let's say I set up a 529 for my son, Correct. right? And so there's 30 grand in it, mm -hmm. and he decides not to go to college. So after I bury him in the backyard, um, <laughs> I can then transfer that into a Roth IRA for me? No, not for you. Okay, see, this is the beneficiary. Was, so it has to be, I'd have, so I can't bury him in the backyard because I have to give him a Roth IRA. Not until after you give him the Roth IRA. Got gotcha. you. Okay, okay, just, just. Uh, that's what I was I was confused about. So yeah. So now the other caveat is you can't just set this up, put funds into it, and then use this as kind of a backdoor Roth. The account has to have been established and maintained for at least fifteen years, um, and the funds that you transfer out have to have been in the account for at least five years. So there's some rules around it. I'm not real sure how they're going to to figure that out as far as what funds were taken first. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, from a taxation perspective, especially in an account that is technically, you know, a tax-free withdrawal if it's used for purposes intended of higher education or education in general. So there's going to be some accounting stuff I think they're going to have to work through. And, you know, we're still waiting on, you know, a lot of this stuff. We can get this whole other topic for beneficiaries of IRAs for required minimum distributions from the IRS. But this is going to be, I think, a really nice tool. So now you can look at a 529 plan as being, yes, for college education, but it can have a retirement component to it as well that it did not have previously. Now, now when 529s first came out, you know, everybody was kind of jumping. They were they were buying state specific. You know, I live in Texas, so I get the Texas 529 plan. But I don't have to do that. I can get a 529 plan from Alaska, right? No, you, you can. And in Texas, in general, just here because we have no state income tax, we can we don't have any incentives to use specifically Texas. So we can use New York, uh, New Hampshire, Virginia. You know, there's so many different places. Now, so you find the best, the point is you find the best performing 529 plan. 
Yeah, or, or, or the cheapest one best, cost, cheap one that has more investment options. Now, the problem yeah. with 529 plans in general, just from an investment perspective, is many of them only offer age-based solutions. So meaning that your child is, you know, they're they're one years old, they're going to be super aggressive, regardless of economic conditions. And then over time, it gets a little bit more conservative, kind of like that target date retirement yeah. fund. Um, and, you know, you need to find one that does give you some options on what you can invest in. Historically, they're kind of like a 401k though, Lance, like pretty limited. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have 10, 15, 20 options. Um, but if you are in a, in a state with state income tax, you will want to use your state specific fund because a lot of times those contributions may have some tax incentives on the state right. level. Right. So you need to be mindful of where you are, where you may move. You can always transfer one from one place to another, but be mindful of what those fees may look like as well, because the uh, the new account may have a setup fee. Most of them don't, but more importantly, they may have a fee to transfer from one to another. Now, with, when you're taking money out of the 529 plans and for college expenses, mm -hmm. what defines the college expense part? Um, I mean, like, can I buy a computer or... If you could show a need for that. Now, I've had CPAs say, well, you can listen, you can go buy a vehicle if you can say this is specifically to get from point A to B to go to school. Mm -hmm. It can't be a shiny yellow Corvette was their words specifically. <laughs> um, but that's a gray area that I don't like to really wade into that water. Um, I'd rather prefer the black and white aspect of it and say, hey, here's what you can, here's what you can't do. I think it's what most people are comfortable with when it comes to that. Well, I, I guess my question is, is is who asks those questions? So I take money out of my 529. You get plan. audited by the IRS. That's okay, that's the when they're going to say, show me your list of expenses. Yeah, show me where this went. Gotcha. So a lot of people like paying like the school registrar directly. Mm -hmm. So it goes directly from the account. It cuts them a check. They send it right over. Um, and then it's a little bit easier accounting in that aspect of it. But, you know, I tell everybody, whenever you're using a 529 plan, make sure you're showing those receipts and you're keeping them. Because if you do get audited, you just want to say, hey, here's exactly where the funds went. Here's how much it was. You don't want to be penalized on something that, you know, you did, but you didn't account for properly. Because right. a lot of people will take the money, they'll put it in their checking account, and then they'll be like, oh, here's money for this. You know, here's, mm -hmm. you know, they may pull out cash and give it to their student. Yep. And you can't trace that. And if you get audited, I would suspect that would be problematic. And since they just hired you know, like 50 million new IRS auditors, chances are. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> be sure and track your expenses. They will not call you on the phone, though. Remember that? Yeah, exactly. They send you a nice letter in the mail is what, what happens. Yeah. Um, so, that, that, no, that's all good stuff. You know, and, and again, you know, when you're talking about, you know, saving for college and doing those type of things, you know, there's there's lots of ways to to do that. But also don't forget is that there's so many grants and other things that are out there that people simply just don't apply for because they just go, oh, I'm not smart enough, you know, or whatever. Um, you'll be surprised how many grants are out there that you can get because simply nobody applies for these. You things. would be so shocked. There are just, so many. Um, you know, I sit on a, a advisory board and, and they just kind of we, we talk about these things from a scholarship and grant perspective on how many are very specific. It may be to your specific high school and somebody doesn't even know about it. It may be 500 bucks, but what we find is the students that are the most successful are the ones that actually, you know, do this regularly and they'll go out and they'll, they'll pick up 500 bucks here, $2,000 here. And it all adds up yeah. and it's amazing. And once you get that loan that, that, that grant or the scholarship, you may be in line to get it the following year as well. If you keep up with some of them, they have specific parameters. You have to have a 3.0 GPA. You have to live in this area. You have to have grown up here. Your parents have to be, I mean, you know, you can name it. Some of them are very, the criteria is very specific. So some people may not even be able to apply. Right. 
But yeah, there's a lot of money that's left out there. And, you know, and, and there's, there's, there's consultants that you can hire and it's worth the money to go and they know where all these things are and they know how to go source them out. So if you don't want to spend the time doing it, it's probably worth hiring somebody to help you do it. Well, we've always, you know, been, been a big fan of sitting down with your student, making sure that as you're filling out FAFSA forms, that they're actually mm-hmm. there with you. They understand it. They understand, you know, the, the steps that you're going through. I think it's a really good learning experience. And, and then also have them go sort these out. Go see your guidance counselor at high school. They should be able to point this stuff out. Right. You know, and I think that's a very unused service. I think these, these guys need to be using those. I'd probably say junior year, start talking about what exactly you're going to go do, how are you going to do it, how can you pick up all those the, the low-hanging fruit and you know, yep. make it a heck of a lot easier. Yeah, that's what my son did when he went to, when he went to college. I yep. mean, the first thing we did was we found the counselor, went there, and, and they had a whole list of, yeah, here's a whole list of grants that you're going to apply for, and he applied for like four of them and got two. So, you know, it just, and again, it's just stuff that nobody else applies for. So, well, I think the problem too, sometimes they may say, well, we we make too much money to get this. Yeah. Sometimes it's not based on income. income. That's right. And so anytime you can get those extra funds, it it goes a long way. Now, I'm not saying don't go save, don't use the 529 or find other ways. (laughs) Because what if that is not there? What if things change? Um, Yeah. So make sure you have that, that money saved. But, Utilize that 529 as a tool, and it may not be for everybody. You may not have the time for it, but and you may not have the time that 15-year requirement and five-year, you know, five years of those contributions have to be in there. So that that Roth may not work that's, that's for right. everybody. There you go, Danny. Thanks so much. Appreciate you as always. And that wraps up the show for today, the, the Wednesday edition, the Hump Day edition. Uh, PPI out this morning. Target. Uh, reporting earnings this morning, uh, they basically clubbed their their low-hanging estimates. Their estimates have gotten ratcheted down dramatically. They just clubbed those estimates like a baby seal this morning. Uh, stock's going to be high uh, up this morning, but sales fell. So again, back to the consumer. We're going to be paying very close attention to that. Um, also this morning, uh, lots of economic data out PPI. We'll talk about it tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz. We'll see you then on the next edition of The Real Investment Show.